I want to share a message with you tonight that's called Beauty from Ashes. And, you know, what's been on my mind and my heart uh, for a few weeks now as we've navigated this season of revival and this outpouring of the Spirit of God and as he has met us in this place, which he has, and he's met us in wonderful ways and we've gotten amazing testimonies of salvations, of healings, of the Spirit of God pouring out on people. Um, We've had these worship moments that are just so pure and sweet and restorative and good in the presence of God. There has been another side of this. There has been these incredible high highs and often outside of these walls in your life and my life and in other places there are also these very low lows. And just because the spirit of God is breaking out and doing a work doesn't mean that the devil is like, oh man, well, I guess I'll just go back home and wait this thing out. He takes that as a challenge. And he begets, becomes active. And he begins looking for ways to discourage you and pull your focus off of God and off of what is happening and turn it inward and to turn it into your surrounding area. And I think many of us, I would say probably all of us, have found ourselves living in that tension. The tension of the goodness and the amazing blessing and the favor of God and the tragedy and the difficulty and the sickness and the heartache and the pain. And I don't know what you expected revival to look like, but my guess is you didn't expect it to be like this. Because we hear revival and you go like, hallelujah, sign me up, I want that. And then you realize it's a multifaceted thing. And you get all of it, but you get God. And so that's the most important thing. And yet what I want to do tonight is just to help lead us into a deeper understanding of God's love and his presence in your life. Um, Yeah, skipping notes here. Um, we're going to be in Psalm 73 tonight and Psalm 73 is a Psalm written by a man named Asaph. And what Asaph is writing about as he writes this Psalm is what's happening in his soul as he looks out into the world and sees varying degrees of injustice, inequality, and just quite frankly, things that don't make any sense to him. And he's looking at what's happening outside of his world, and he's beginning to reflect, and as if you read the whole psalm, you begin to see, he begins to realize that what's happening outside of me is deeply affecting what's happening inside of me. That his external circumstances are profoundly impacting his internal condition. And he begins to wrestle with that, as many of us wrestle with that. Our soul, for better or for worse, gets profoundly shaped and impacted by what happens around us. We define our soul as our mind, our will, and our emotions. And if you have been through something, or if you are going through something, you know how that impacts your mind. You, start, you stop thinking straight. You stop thinking clearly. And the thoughts you used to have, you have brand new thoughts. And your will begins to be affected. You, in some cases, you don't want to do anything anymore. You just want to lay down 
and not move and just, just leave me alone. Or you want to start doing all the wrong things and, certainly, or, and suddenly all of these forbidden fruits in a moment when you're going through become more appealing to you because your, your will is being affected and your emotions become affected. You start feeling all kinds of way and like, you know, a ping pong ball, you just become battered around and moving from one emotion to the next, feeling like you have no control over them. But the reality for us as Christians, because although it is true that external circumstances are going to affect our internal condition, what's true for us is that even though our souls might be affected by what's happening, they are not subjected to what's happening. And I need you to know the difference. Because there's a difference between going through something and having that draw emotions and pain and challenge and difficulty out of you. That's very normal. That's a natural part of life. And there's a difference between having a normal response and now having a response where everything around me dictates who I am, how I think, how I act. And I get blown like a ship on the waves, having no control over what's happening internally. The life of a Christian is one who brings their mind, their will, and emotions under the lordship of Jesus in the scriptures. They are subjected to something, but they should not be subjected to circumstance. They need to be subjected to the word and the will of God. That's called spiritual maturity. If you're wondering what spiritual maturity looks like, a piece of it is this. When things happen in the world around me, it begins to produce a reaction within me. And when I begin to feel what's in me begin to rise up and produce things inside of me that begin to come out of me, I have a decision that I need to make in this moment. Who is in charge here? Who do I serve? Who is the Lord of my mind and my will and my emotions? Is it what happens to me? Is it what I want? Or is it somebody else? And oftentimes we think spiritual maturity or maturity in general just comes by years passing. If I just, you know, older people are more spiritually mature, younger people are less spiritually mature. But what, and that's in many cases true, but the reason is not because years have passed. The reason is because what has happened in those years as they have passed. Maturity comes by going through difficulty, going through trial, going through tragedy, going through grief, going through loss, going through suffering. Stephen Law is one of the most mature men I know, and he's younger than me because of things he has walked through in his life with his daughter that aged him 30 years. He has a perspective on life many of you may never have, and that's by the grace of God, I hope you don't have to go through things that he's gone through with his daughter, Willow. We want healing to come in a moment. We want to come to a service, have someone lay their hand on our head and have every malady disappear and walk out free and clear. Glory to God, you did it. But how many of you know healing is rarely ever a pain-free process? You know, miraculous healings tend to be for the non-believer and the skeptic and the doubter, 
that they would see something true about the glory and the power of God. For you who know of the glory and the power and the presence of God, your privilege is getting to know that while you go through the pain and through the grief and through the difficulty, you go through it with Jesus. Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall not fear. Why? Because you are with me. Not because you will deliver me from the valley. Not because you will heal me in the valley, but because I know that when I'm there, I'm not alone. You're with me. The story of the Christian walk is that you suddenly get so blessed you never have trials anymore. The story of the Christian life is now that as you go through them, you get to remember and experience the depth and the beauty and the love of God in the way that you never have before. And I believe, if we can actually get to the scripture here, I'm preaching a different message, but... I believe that what Asaph has experienced and what he lays out in this psalm so beautifully shows us a way to respond when what happens around us begins to affect the feelings within us. We're going to be in Psalm 73, verse 21 through 26. And if you would stand with me for the reading of the word of God. The psalmist writes, When my soul was embittered, When I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray. Lord, would you be with us tonight? Would you bless us with your presence, with a heavenly perspective? Would you minister to hearts and minds? Would you anoint the words in my mouth that they would be yours and not mine? Join us here in this place, I pray giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, and minds to understand what the spirit of the living God is saying to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The question tonight is, how do we get through when we're going through? Asaph writes, my soul was embittered. My heart was pricked. And as a result, I was brutish and I was ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. This is phenomenal language just from a writing perspective. It's visceral and it's real. But it points to something very true, which is that grief, loss, trial, tragedy are normal parts of life. Everybody goes through them. Uh, Pastor Mark said this one time a couple years ago, simple statement and deeply profound. He said, death is a very important part of living. It's, it's a part of all of our lives in one way or another. And I don't just mean physical death, although that is the end for us all. But there's the death of a vision, 
a hope that you had for your life, an expectation of what would be or what was coming, and you realize at one point that maybe that's not coming anymore. You get to a point in your life you thought your life was going to end up one way, or you thought your marriage was going to be one thing, your children were going to be one thing, and you have to confront at some point, maybe things don't look the way I thought they would look, and you come to a point where a vision you had for your life, an expectation you had for your life, begins to die. And you need to have have a new one be raised to life. We die a million little deaths over the course of our lives, day by day. So when I talk about grief, when I talk about loss, hear this not as the loss of a loved one, although in many cases we've all navigated that, and this applies there as well. But there's also just the loss of an expectation, the loss of a hope, a a tragedy that we can encounter. And we all experience it, but we all experience it differently. And grief going through, um, we all go through differently is maybe the way I want to say it. Grief does funny things to people. It affects people in in, in very different different ways. You know, there's like the five stages of grieving that we can talk about, but there's also just symptoms of grief. When there's loss, when there's unmet things, you might get angry, you get really mad, and look for somebody to blame. Look for someone to to accuse and put put the fault on. You might get sad and just lose hope. You might become depressed. You might have a numbness that you feel, like a lack of feeling of anything. You might experience a withdrawal. You might begin to doubt and to question things and begin to reanalyze everything that you thought was true. And these are natural outworkings of what processing through grief is. Um, And there's another big one that I have learned in the course of my life and my ministry is that whenever we go through something, it almost always is tied to something we've been through before. And there's almost always a past pain a past trauma, an unresolved hurt, a thing that happened back when. And feelings from that begin to be drawn up as we go through this. And it hurts in a whole different kind of way. And you begin to project on now what happened then, even though those are separate instances and they have nothing to do with each other. The only commonality is that there's unresolved pain in your soul. And this is what grief does. This is what loss does. This is what going through a trial does. And Asaph describes, for me at least, what I think is so beautiful and brilliant in this language of being brutish and ignorant. I know when I'm at my lowest, those are pretty good words to describe me, if I can be honest. I wish I could stand before you and say I go through, I go through difficulty with my head held high, my hand in the Lord's, and my eyes on the word. And I just trust him completely. And some of that is true. But there's this other side of me that processes through pain as everybody else does. Doubting, questioning, mad, frustrated, difficult. Questioning God, why? What's happening? And as I read this, I realized, man, you know how ignorant I am? (laughs) As I accuse God, the one who is sovereign, what are you doing Why didn't you do it this way? Don't you understand? And I go, ignorant. Mm. Ignorant. Yeah, that's a good word for me. 
We all deal with grief, we all deal with it differently. It does funny things to us. All of us have coping mechanisms to process this. There are active coping mechanisms. That's taking tangible steps to work through the pain, to change your mindset or to see an alternate perspective. That might be talking with a friend, processing with a pastor. That might be searching the word of God, finding scriptures and holding on to them. That might be praying and asking the Holy Spirit to change your mind. That might be getting wisdom from a mentor and somebody who's been through and saying, help me see this correctly because I can't see it. These are active ways you cope with pain and loss. They're trying to move you forward. And those are hard. And most of us live in... um, avoidant coping which is we try to get away from the pain because we don't want to go through it and this is where you get into things like substance abuse turning to the forbidden fruit of your life whatever that looks like withdrawal binging things unhealthy habits to make you feel something other than the pain of what you know is in front of you it's avoidant coping The question as you go through is, are you going to go inward or are you going to go onward? And it's a choice that we have to make at some point or another in the grieving process. Here's my point in all of this. As Christians, as believers of Jesus, as followers of Christ, those who have read this word and study it, and know it. We do go through trial. We do go through tragedy. We do go through grief. We do go through loss. But the Bible is clear. You go through it, but you don't go through it without hope. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. That you may not grieve as others do who have not hope. So there has to be an anchor to your soul as you go through, and the anchor is hope in something greater than you. That anchor is hope, because what does hope testify to? Hope testifies not just that there's a brighter day ahead, that I believe something good is going to come out. Hope testifies to the fact that the work Jesus did on the cross was effective, and it actually mattered. And it actually did something for you in your life. That when the power of sin and death was broken in the earth, that that actually has an effect on how you live today. That when Jesus said, it is finished, he actually meant it was finished. And when he says, I make all things new, your hope testifies that I I actually believe that he actually makes all things new. And if you go through grief without hope, you violate the testimony of what you've professed with your mouth. And I don't say that for condemnation. I say that to remind you that the testimony of your lips, that Jesus is Lord, that God is good, that he is an ever-present help, even when you go through, that ought to still be a refrain from your lips. Because we are not to grieve as those who don't have any hope. I got a whole bit in here about we follow our emotions and we shouldn't. We shouldn't accept them. We should interrogate them. I'm going to skip it because we we're on time here. But Asaph says, my heart and my flesh may fail. And I just want you to know that that is true of you as well. 
Your heart and your flesh are not strong enough. Your heart and your flesh are not enough. They fail you. The feelings that rise need to be questioned, not just accepted. Where do you come from? What are you attached to? Why are you there? And what are you doing in my house right now? What do you want from me? And it is totally appropriate to tell the fear, the anxiety, and the worry, which are self-defense mechanisms, by the way. I guess I'm going here. It's okay. These things that rise up, they rise up as as a way that your mind wants to protect your heart. The reason you worry is because your brain is trying to protect you. It's self-defense. Have you considered this? Have you thought about that? What about this? Don't think about that. What about what up? And that's your mind trying to protect your heart. And it is totally appropriate to say to your worry, to say to your anxiety, thank you for trying to help me. Thank you for looking out for my best interest and seeking to protect me. You are not needed right now. I dismiss you. And that is a very valid and real way to cope through pain and grief is you can talk to your emotions. The internal source is not enough. There's got to be an external source. So Asaph continues 23 and 24. He says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Oftentimes when we're going through something, pain or heartache or loss, the focus that we are so quickly pulled to is we're focused and we think mostly and almost only about what we've lost or about what we don't have. We fixate on what was taken from us, on what we no longer have, and how much that hurts. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's what we do. Is it not? And you look at what you don't have, and you obsess, and you fixate on that. And that doesn't make you feel good. That makes you feel worse. And I have been challenged in this season. To not look about what, not look at and fixate on things that might have been lost or taken, opportunities that might have been missed, things that I don't have. I was challenged to fixate on what I do have. And God challenged me by asking me, it's not about what was lost, it's about what you still are holding. And consider what you have in your hands. The reality is that the situations you go through in life, they, let me make it personal. The situations that I go through in my life always catch me off guard. They never catch God off guard. And I go to him in my anger and my frustration and my complaint and my righteous indignation. And I question why and what if and coulda, woulda and why not and all these other things, and God, you didn't ask for my wisdom. I could have helped. (laughs) And God says to me, oh, you misunderstand. (laughs) You didn't see it coming. I saw it coming. Yeah, no, 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 I was all over it. I was in it. I was through it. I I was on it. And in fact, the other thing that you've forgotten is that I've actually already prepared you for this far in advance. So the things that you feel like you don't have, I've actually already given you for this season. That's why you're in this season, to testify to my goodness and my provision for you so that you can see I met you long ago and made you ready for this, not in your strength, but in mine. 
This is Moses as God calls him to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt to go and confront Pharaoh, to walk into Pharaoh's house and have a confrontation. And Moses says, who am I? I don't have the words. And how am I going to say it? And who's going to listen to me? And the Lord says to him, what's that in your hand? What's in your hand? A staff. He says, here's what you're going to do with that staff. (laughs) You're going to throw it down, and when it turns into a snake, Pharaoh is going to know that God is with you. You see, we respond to everything like Moses. God, I don't have that. I'm not enough. I can't. What about, and you don't know, and, and I'm not ready yet, and all of this. And God looks at you, and he says, what's in your hand? What are you holding on to? What do you have that I gave you? Don't you think the thing that I have given you in advance was sufficient for the moment at hand? Don't you think I have prepared you? Don't worry about what you don't have. Look in your hand at what you do have. And Asaph so beautifully says in this passage, you, God, guide me by your hand. What was in his hand? but the hand of his heavenly father, leading him, guiding him, counseling him, helping him through a period of grief and pain that turned him into a brutish and ignorant beast. And yet, he says, nevertheless, you guide me continually by your hand. And afterward, you will receive me into glory. Often when we're going through, we forget that there's an afterward. Because pain, the trial, the difficulty, whatever word you want to use, is so all-consuming. It's all we see in front of us. And it's like everything else kind of melts away and disappears. Certainly this idea of like what's on the other side. It's like I can't even get there. I got to look. I got to look here. I got to look at what's in front because I can point out all these, all these problems. But I need you to know that in every situation there is an afterward. And there is a future you on the other side of what you're going through. And I want you to think about them for a moment. The you that's on the other side. What, what, that's 12 months, two years, five years. I don't know what you're walking through in this season, but whatever is on the other side, there's a you of the future. And I want you to imagine what the you of the future will be telling the you of today about how they would like you to walk through what you're walking through. Minister to yourself for a moment. How would they like you to carry yourself? When you look back on the season that you're in, Are you going to, I'm on preaching to myself, are you going to stay a brutish and ignorant beast? Are you going to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? Are you going to trust in the Lord? Are you going to lay down at the altar all your expectation, all your ambition, all of your desire, and just trust in me, the Lord your God? How does the future you want the present you to walk through what you're walking through because afterward is coming and we have the opportunity to get to what's after without regrets along the way. But that starts today, how we walk through what we walk through in this moment. 
and I'm trusting that you will look with an eternal perspective on not just your situation, but your entire life. How does the eternal you want you to walk through this relationship that you're in right now? How does the mother, you as a mother of children, want you to walk through the relationship you're walking through? How do you as a father want to be able to testify to your future children about how you're walking through what you're walking through today? What do you want the testimony of your life to be? The devil will keep you so focused on the inward that you forget to look upward. You've got to have a long view on your life and what you're going through. Last thing I want to say. The last two verses, Asaph writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Whenever we are in a season where we are going through, we have to stop for a moment and make a decision. I think it's one of the most important decisions that you will make when you find yourself in one of these seasons, in one of these moments. It's a decision that will direct you, that will direct your emotions, that will direct your soul, that will guide every thought that you have and help you along the way. It's gonna shape perspectives and attitudes. And the question is, what do you desire most? What are you after? What do you actually want from all this? What do you desire most? You know, part of the reason the emotions that we feel buck up inside of us and manifest in a way that is often unproductive or not the most Christ-like is because a desire of our heart or an expectation of our soul now is about to go unmet or unfulfilled. Or there's a pain that we're going to experience that we don't like to feel. And often what we desire most is to get what we want. I want to not feel bad. I want to feel good. I wanted that person as my spouse, not somebody else. I wanted to go my way. I wanted to have the opportunity. I wanted to advance. I wanted to be seen as a person who whatever. And then life smacks you. And those things get taken from you or altered in some way. And the question remains, what do you desire most though? What are you actually after in this? In your life, what is your highest good and your highest goal? Asaph, at the end of himself, goes, what else do I have, Lord? Whom have I in heaven but you? Everything was taken from me. I look around me, it's just injustice after injustice, it's inequality, it's unfair, it doesn't make sense, it's not right, I'm trying to live righteously, yet nothing around me is going the way I want it to go. I am at the end of myself, God, and all I have left is you. 
think the Spirit of God would say, great. Because he's doing something in us, shaking off the rust, shaking loose the things that hold on to us, that pull us in different directions. And he's recentering and refocusing us back on our first love. What do you desire most? What did you want? I know it might hurt that you can't have it or it's not there in front of you or life has taken you in another direction. But the question remains, what is it that you actually want? He says, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And the thing that we forget when we walk through what we're walking through The lie of the enemy as you go through is that you go through alone and you go through by yourself and there's nobody with you that can help you and you're just there and you just got to get through and just it's going to be terrible and miserable and I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. But you have to speak truth where the enemy speaks a lie. You hold my hand, Lord, continually. You are my strength. In the source of my life, you are, the, you are the portion that God has given to me. That as I go through this life, God has not given me nothing. God has given me something. And I want to just begin to close here with the thing that God has given you in this. Because God has made a portion for each and every one of you. He's given you someone to go through what you're going through with you. It's the one who shepherds you through the valley. And who walks with you by still waters. It's the one who knows every thought in your mind and knows every heartache in your soul. It's the one who has experienced pain unlike anybody else has ever experienced pain. You know, in seasons of my life when I have gone through grief or as I've walked through it with others. And they've navigated a loss. The death of a loved one, of a father, of a family member, of a friend, or an end of a season, end of a marriage. You know, this question has risen up in my soul before as I go to God, grieving and lamenting on behalf of others or on behalf of my own soul. It's just like, God, why does it, why does it have to feel this way, though? Like, you know, like, you see me, obviously. And you see these families, you see these people, like, why does, it have to, why does grief have to hurt so bad? Like, like, where is the help in this? And you know what God said to me so clearly? He said, I'm a man of sorrows. The portion that I've provided you is, is one well acquainted with grief. He took me to Isaiah 53. I want to read I want to read a couple of these verses. Isaiah 53, one through, well, we'll stop halfway through, but who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. When the author of Hebrews says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is one of the ways that that passage reveals itself as true in our life. The portion that God has made for us is the only one who knows the pain and the heartache and the rejection and the frustration and the difficulty better than you'll ever know it. There is only one. It's not me. It's not one of your pastors. It's not your mom and your dad or your best. There is only one who can fully and truly empathize and understand the pain that you walk through when you walk through it because he has been through it in greater measure prayerfully than you will ever have to go through it. And do you know what he tells us to do? He tells us to cast our cares upon him. He tells us, I am able to carry the pain and the heartache that you feel. And not just am I able, I want to. So throw it on me. Bring it to me. Put it on my back. I'll carry it for you. And as we go through what we're going through, we look to the one who has been where we are going now. And we realize that he is closer than ever. And he understands every step that you take, every feeling that arises. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus had all the emotions that you have. He was fully human. He felt angry. He felt jealous. He felt all that. So he understands And what does he come to do? And I'm going to close this with this. And then we're going to pray. And then we're just going to sing to God. And then we're going to close our service. Jesus reads this passage from Isaiah 61. I'm going to read the passage from Isaiah 61. I want to read the full passage. When I think about the portion that God has made for us. As we navigate seasons that are difficult for our lives and for our souls. And when I think about Jesus. A man of sorrows, a man acquainted with grief, a man who fully sympathizes and understands and says, place on me the heavy burden that you carry. I look at the full mission and the full purpose of Jesus. And this is what he stands in the temple when he announces his ministry. He reads, he reads these words. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead 
of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. You have heard about how the Lord has come to proclaim good news in the favor of God and to open prison doors and to set the captives free. But I wonder if you remember and if you know that Jesus came also to exchange the ashes of mourning, which is what this refers to. The men would sprinkle ashes on their head to represent death if they were in a season of mourning. He says, I'm going to wipe that off of you. And I'm going to give you a crown, a beautiful crown of gladness. I'm going to anoint your head with oil. And I'm going to wrap around your shoulders a garment of praise that you might be called something different in the earth. That you would be seen as an oak that is righteous. One that was planted by God himself that he might receive glory from the way that you have lived your life. What's hard is to see the beauty when all we see is the ashes. What's hard is to want to praise when your spirit is faint. And yet we walk by faith, not by feeling. And every action that goes against the plan of the enemy for your life is an action of faith. It's a declaration of trust in King Jesus. And in those small steps, we begin to feel the beautiful crown of joy that God has placed on our head. A praise begins to rise in our voice because, Lord, whom else do we have in heaven besides you? And, God, what else could we even desire in this earth but you? For one day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. And all I want, God, is all you have for me. And I look beyond a present moment and a present pain with expectation for the afterward. And God, I put my hope in things to come, not in things as they are. And I put my trust, not in man and not in self, but I put my trust in you, the maker of heaven and earth. And I want us just in a, I don't know what you're going through. This message was heavy on my heart. And so I believe it's timely, at least for one of you. And so I want us as a body to take some of these small steps of faith together to encourage our brothers and sisters as they find the praise in their soul that they're not sure whether it's there or not. Would you stand with me? Because we're going to worship. And I want you to know that God knows. It's not lost on him. 
just not. It's just not. You know, when God leads you into a season, when God brings you into something, even something difficult, I need you to understand this. If God starts a thing in your life, even if it's difficult, the hand and the spirit of God is on that thing. And he is moving through that. That's a good thing. So even difficult things can be good things if God is, God is beginning it and working through it. How we react and the voices that we listen to as we walk through becomes the place where spiritual warfare is present. And that becomes the place where we have the opportunity to get off track of what God is trying to do in our life. So what I want us to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus. I want us just to look at him once again. The one who is able to sympathize with the pain that you experience. The one who knows what you've gone through. And the one who is closer than your next breath. That's who he is. JC, you said it so well. How can his breath be in his lungs, in your lungs, were he not close to you? And why would the Lord speak in a still, small voice unless he were whispering? And you only whisper when you're close. And in the ashes... There is great beauty in seeing the face of Jesus and knowing him like you've never known him before. Lord, we worship you in this place and we bring our soul under your lordship. We bring our souls under subjection to the word and the will of God for our lives. God, you are Lord. You are master. You are in control. And what you have for us is what we want from you. So God, give to us in this moment a heavenly perspective. A perspective beyond what we would have in the natural. One that is in fact supernatural. To see the wonder-working hand of God in this place. To see the healing touch of our Father in this place. To resurrect our faith. To put it in you. The only place it should have ever been in the first place. Our hope is in you, Lord. Our trust, it's in you, God. We want what you have. And we want you to know that we trust you. And our act of faith, Lord, is to worship in the middle of it and to declare the goodness of our God here in the land of the living. Lord, we love you. And you know now, God, we trust you. Be glorified in this place and in our hearts, for you are the only good one, the only true one, and the only faithful one. And we love you, King Jesus. Give him praise in this place and lift a shout to our God.